The other day I had a friend ask me how I'm planning this podcast, to which I responded, how I plan everything in my life, (laughs) kind of intuitively and randomly. (laughs) I'm a total organized mess. I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but I'm one of those people, like I don't have a specific spot for my keys, but I know where I left them last. So my husband always, you know, says, why don't you put them in their spot? And I mean, I guess his method, he's, he's not wrong, but my method works for my brain. And so (laughs) this podcast is really morphing into just that. It's, I'm planning the topics based on what intuitively comes up and what's intuitively come up this past few weeks is um, this idea of diet versus anti-diet culture and it's come up with clients it's come up in just day-to-day conversations uh, basically talking about okay there's two worlds out there there's like the dieting world and then on the flip side we have this anti-diet culture discussion which is a lot of what I talk about you know trying to push back against this diet industry Um, teaching body autonomy, body acceptance, and eventually body love. And sometimes that anti-diet mentality can also like open up this question of like, okay, so if I'm working on eating intuitively and being anti-diet, does that mean I can never, you know, want to lose weight? Or does that mean that I have to not show discipline in my exercise routine? So it's a really great area. And I want to talk about that today because These are the kinds of questions that are coming up in the conversations I'm having. Like, do I have to choose a side? Is it one or the other? Is it a black or white, all or nothing kind of thing? What is health at every size? And can I intuitively eat and lose weight? A lot of times people try to intuitively eat and they don't lose weight. And so they think, can the two coexist? Can I love my body but want to lose weight at the same time? Can I love my body and want to change it? So these are the questions I want to dive into today and give you guys some tangible, first some some very clear definitions of some of the diet culture, anti-diet culture stuff that's out there, and then some really practical, basic things you guys can do to continue your empowered eating journey. So before we get started, I want to share this analogy that um, one of my clients shared with me, and I just thought it was amazing. She said, Jess, you know, it's like wanting to accept and love your body and change it at the same time is very much like living in an apartment and loving it, enjoying it, being satisfied and content, but having ambitions to buy a house. So in other words, it's like she loved, she talked about loving her current environment, but still having plans of moving to something more. And body acceptance and body autonomy can really, really parallel that analogy where it's like you can accept and love your body as it is, which is something that I'm really working on um, and hoping you guys are are walking towards through this podcast. But then can we still reach for something more? Can we still reach for whatever the next thing is without losing sight of that body gratitude and body acceptance? So we're going to be talking about some extreme ownership of your journey, your walk with food, and how to grab hold of the reins, live in your body, and get super comfortable. What's up, friends? Welcome to the Fuel Her Awesome podcast. It's time to finally break up with dieting and choose to live boldly and unapologetically in that bodacious body of yours. If you've had enough of your inner awesome being eclipsed by body hate and you're drowning in that sea of nutrition info out there, girl, I made this podcast for you. 
Become the healthiest and most energized version of yourself through confidence, food freedom, faith, and body empowerment from science-backed nutrition and energizing foods with a little wiggle room. Because who doesn't want a side of donuts and a little wine does the body good? (laughs) I'm Jess, a body bully warrior, registered dietitian, and food freedom guru. I believe that when we stop letting culture define health, beauty, and what we should and shouldn't eat, we can finally live free in our own bodies. Are you ready to channel your inner awesome at a whole nother level? Grab a cup of coffee or lace up those running shoes and let's dive in to today's show. Okay, ladies, before we dive in today, I want to let you guys know this is the last week that my ebook is on sale. It's 20% off. The deadline for the code LOVEMYBODY20, which will get you 20% off, was January 31st, but I'm actually going to extend it through the first week of February because I really want you guys to get your hands on this book. If you're loving this podcast, then this book is a step-by-step process on how to work towards an empowered eating model. I'm getting ready to launch an app here in like another month. I think it's going to be ready. I'm so excited, but the app is really focused on balanced eating. But I really, really want to stress that before you dive into something that focuses on macros or you know, portioning foods or eating specific foods, before you even go there, you've got to lay the groundwork of body acceptance and working to live in body autonomy. And my ebook really walks you towards that. So if you guys haven't checked that out yet, be sure you check it out by the end of the week. Love My Body 20 will get you 20% off. It's over at JessBrownRD.com. Click on the tab that says ebook. I also wanted to let you ladies know. So the second podcast I did was an interview with a client of mine where we talked about letting go of the scale. It was called Free Yourself from the Scale. And I asked her to put her scale away for 30 days and try to live in her body and work on changing her food, changing her eating patterns without relying on the scale for that feedback. Well, we are coming up on 30 days. I'm going to be meeting with her again this Wednesday. We are recording our session. So uh, Free Yourself from the Scale Part 2 is coming your way. All right, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Before we get started, you guys know me, I always want to be really clear about what we're talking about. So today we're talking about this idea of diet versus anti-diet culture. Are There are two things on opposite ends of the spectrum and do we have to choose? But before we dive into answering those questions, I think we need to get a really clear understanding of some definitions. So diet culture is the system that values aesthetics above health. So in other words, it's a method of eating and exercising that focuses more on how a person looks as opposed to what's actually going on physically, mentally, socially, and it doesn't look at the person as a whole. And this really messes people up. I mean, I can think of two specific different instances where diet culture has really messed with people's heads. So number one, is when someone is starving herself to lose weight. So she's compromising her physical and mental health just so that her body appears differently. And I think at, at some point in all women's lives, we can relate to this. We've done this before. I know I have done this where I am so focused on getting my body to look and mold into a specific frame or a specific silhouette that I will risk not eating. So I'll just step away from food altogether 
which isn't healthy at all. It's not healthy whatsoever, um, both physically and then psychologically that can really mess with our heads. Socially, it separates us and isolates us from people. Uh, so this is diet, the root of diet culture right here. The other instance where diet culture can really mess people up is actually in healthcare. We There's a lot of assumptions that a specific condition is linked to a specific body weight. So I work with people in all different body sizes, but one of the very common struggles that people in larger bodies face is that they'll go to a healthcare provider, including dietitians, and they'll be going for, like (laughs) I had one gal who had strep throat and she was wanting to go get antibiotics for strep throat. Well, the doctor ended up talking to her about weight loss (laughs) while she was there to be treated for strep throat. And part of that is because I know physicians in particular have to speak with someone about weight loss. It's a quality assurance metric that a lot of them, it's a box they have to check. Um, and But I think it can really mess with people because then we're, we're focused on aesthetics again rather than treating the person for the medical condition at hand. There's also a lot of assumptions that diet culture presents to us about people in different body sizes. In particular, people in larger body sizes, there's a, a lot of assumptions like, oh, they must be lazy or they must not eat healthy. I cannot tell you guys how many individuals I have worked with that are in larger bodies that eat no differently than I do. And they look different. And what is that about and how could that be? Well, most people in larger bodies have a few things that are different than someone like me. So for example, their genetics are going to be totally different. Um, They might have genetics to set up to be in a larger body. And then number two, they have the genetic predisposition that if they do cut calories, they're actually going to hold on to weight. And I talked a lot about that in my podcast, Why Diets Never Work. And from an evolutionary or a biological perspective, these individuals who hold on to weight when they're in a calorie restriction are more biologically advanced than someone who loses weight when they restrict calories because they would survive a famine. I mean, that's the whole point of carrying fat cells is to survive periods without eating. And individuals who hold on to weight while in a calorie restriction are just that. So I think it's really interesting that like from a biological perspective, they're more advanced, yet our culture tells us that something is wrong with them because of the body size they are in. I'm thinking of this one client I have in particular. Her, She's in a larger body. She is in a BMI that most people would consider unhealthy. And she came to me because her doctor referred her to me because of her BMI. And she came in and we talked and you know, she was eating precisely what her body needed. She exercised regularly. She had no cardiometabolic issues. She did not have diabetes. Her blood pressure was beautiful. Her resting heart rate was that of an athlete. It was one of those situations where I said, do you want to lose weight? And she looked at me and said, you know, Jess, I've tried and no, not really. I've got so much going on in life. I'm, she was a manager. She was volunteering with high school kids, taking them on trips around the country, learning about government. I mean, she was living her best life, but it was somebody else that told her because of her weight, she needed to make a change. But when we sat down and we looked at it, she decided not to. And you know what? To this day, I met her, gosh, it was probably seven years ago. To this day, she's so healthy. She has no issues. And I think a lot of people who would look at her would make assumptions that she's lazy or she's unhealthy or she's eating crap. 
And none of that is true. So um, diet culture really has entrenched itself in both our our thoughts and assumptions about how people carry themselves and take care of themselves based on how they look, but it's also permeated our healthcare system. I know when I was getting my training, there was a lot of instruction to tell people to lose weight, no, no matter without learning anything else about them other than their weight. And over the last, you know, eleven years of working with clients, I have found that to be incredibly damaging. And I, I, I never, ever assume someone wants to lose weight. When they walk in my door, I let them decide what they want to do. And we have a conversation um, because I now know that making those assumptions based on someone's body weight is totally entrenched in diet culture. Okay, so that's diet culture. The second definition I want to talk about is this idea of health at every size or haze. You may or may not have seen this. It's starting to really make its way into mainstream media There was an article in Vogue last month about ditching the normal weight loss New Year's resolutions and instead looking to intuitive eating and body acceptance, which was health at every size based. So I thought that was super cool. What health at every size is, is it's a mission with the intention to do three things. Number one, celebrate body diversity. Ladies, I have never heard anything more true in my entire career that body diversity is real and we need to be celebrating it, not fighting it. It's like the idea of dogs. So I have a German Shepherd and a three pound Yorkie. So I have this massive like killer dog and this little tiny dog that should probably be a rat. (laughs) And totally different dogs, totally different breeds. And yet they're both dogs. Humans are the same. We have so many different body sizes, shapes, silhouettes, way we carry muscle, way we carry fat, how much hair we have, how our eyebrows grow. There's so much diversity in our bodies and to think that we would all fit the same mold is just crazy. So that's one of the, that's the first pillar of health at every size that I absolutely love is celebrating body diversity. Number two, they look to challenge cultural assumptions about individuals in larger bodies. So a lot of what I was talking about earlier, about making assumptions about people who are in larger bodies, thinking we know what's going on behind closed doors, you know, making assumptions that they they don't exercise, they eat a certain way. Guys, I can tell you from this side of the table, meeting with people for over 10 years now, nothing could be more false nothing. I have never had one person walk into my office and I could accurately predict how he or she is eating based on the way she looks. Not once, not once. And so health at every size really looks to challenge that, which I think is amazing. Uh, Cause if we don't, we're setting, you know, we're, we're imposing shame on people who don't deserve shame. Number three is finding joy in movement and eating in a flexible and attuned manner that values pleasure. Like, can I get an amen for that? And this is where I don't like a lot of the diets that are out there because they don't value pleasure. Every single meal plan I write and the app I'm building has this built in. I encourage people eat something for pleasure every single day. I call it fun food every single day because one, your body can handle it. Number two, how could we not value the joy from eating? Voltaire said it best. He said, if God didn't make eating pleasurable, eating would be the most exhausting thing we've ever done. That's so true. Can you imagine if we didn't enjoy it? So to deny that basic human component of eating, I think really robs us of the human experience. So yeah, value of pleasure, 
is one of the the main things health at every size is is trying to educate on others so it's really this movement to clean up a lot of the collateral damage that's resulted from the war on obesity and guys all of this information I actually got from the health at every size website so if you head on over um, to their website you can find all of this I'll link it in the show notes but these this collateral damage that's happened is we have like a food and body preoccupation a self-hatred eating disorders have become increasingly concerning and more common Um, we discriminate against people in specific body sizes so in other words this war on obesity isn't working and we need to figure out another way to empower people to be healthy rather than shaming them into hating their bodies I always say you can't hate your body healthy you have to work from a place of body autonomy the health of every size movement has really shifted into more of a social justice movement that really identifies behavior change as more of a privilege and not a choice Now, I just want to say that again, it identifies behavior change as a privilege, not a choice. And when I've had this conversation with many people, the initial response is like, well, you always have a choice. And correct, we always have a choice, always have a choice. But some people's choices are not the same as that which we experience our health behavior choices. So I was talking to my brother-in-law about this last week and he said the same thing. He said, oh no, I totally think you always have a choice. And so we kept talking And then he shared with me a documentary he'd watched where neighborhoods of lower socioeconomic statuses don't actually have grocery stores within their their neighborhood. They have corner stores and corner stores sell fresh foods at a higher price. So a a gallon of milk is going to be one to two dollars more. Fruit's going to be expensive or bad. It's not even going to be good. But packaged foods are readily available and they're cheap. This can be true for college students too. So if we think of a college student who lives in the dorms, I mean, they may or may not have a car. Um, They don't have the ability to get to a grocery store. So they're going to stop at that corner store. You think they're going to be buying blueberries that are half rotted for $2.99? Or are they going to be buying the frozen pizza that comes in a three pack for $1.99. You know, it's a no brainer. If you're on a budget and you can't make it to places that offer whole foods for a lower price, you're gonna buy what's convenient and probably not as nutritionally sound. So if we look at it from this setting, it's like, does do those people really have a choice? Does a college student really have a choice? Does a person living in a neighborhood that doesn't give them access to fresh fruits and vegetables, do they really have the same choices for behavior change as we do? Gosh, I could go off on a tangent on this whole topic and I'll absolutely have more podcasts on health at every size, but I think it just puts this idea of health into a different light for us. It, it helps us understand that not everybody has the same experience with food or the same experience with trying to make a behavior change as we do. Okay, so we've got diet culture, health at every size, and then intuitive eating or what I like to call empowered eating, which I've done a whole podcast on. If you haven't listened to that one, you definitely want to tune in because that's going to be the core of my treatment model when I work with individuals. So we've got these three things. Now, if we look at those and really dissect them and understand them and unpack them, it really helps us understand that, no, we don't have to choose sides. Being anti-diet culture really just means that we are not buying into the fact that how we look should be the first and foremost thought in our brains when we're making decisions about exercise and nutrition and then the health at every size movement it doesn't necessarily mean that no matter what kind of body you're in you're healthy no what it means 
is that we have to understand not everybody has the same experiences or the same opportunities to make behavior or health changes and not everybody's body will look the same even if they do. So when we really unpack these, I think it helps us really get away from this polarizing view of diet or anti-diet culture. It's the misconceptions that lead to the black or white thinking, the all or nothing thinking, and I think leave us feeling stuck. And it also, I think, puts people in a shame spiral. So I had this one client who... Um, she, she'd done weight loss for years. You know, she did this whole cycle over and over again, never got the results she wanted. Well, she ended up coming to see me and she said, Jess, you know, I've been dieting. I'm just, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) It's exhausting. I teach me about this anti-diet culture and what can I do to accept my body and move forward with my life? Cause I'm tired of being at war with it. So we did some great work. She only saw me a few times. So I gave her some resources. She did a lot of research on her own. Um, She really went down the anti-diet culture rabbit hole. And at first it was so helpful and really, really empowering. Well, she came back to see me about six months later and said she was feeling so stuck because she's done a lot of work on body acceptance and loving herself. And she said she felt really, really good about that. She started giving herself permission to eat things she hadn't done in years, like ice cream after dinner with her kids, uh, fruit snacks. So that was another thing. She always wanted fruit snacks with her daughter. And she finally gave herself the permission to have fruit snacks. So it was awesome. But then at the end of the day, she wasn't feeling very good. And and not even like not feeling, it wasn't, she wasn't feeling good in her body because she felt like she had a muffin top. No, it was that she felt lethargic because she was eating a lot of high sugar food. She was eating a lot of foods that lacked nutrient density. So she came back and she said, Jess, I really want to start eating more balanced, eating more intentionally, but I almost feel like I can't do, like I feel bad about doing it because I've worked so hard on accepting my body. So now if I go back to some of this eating more fruits and veggies and not having ice cream every night, am I going right back to the diet mentality? That's the trap. And that's where I I really want to help clients and help them walk through balancing those two extremes and realizing you actually don't have to choose. And when you you come back I do think the pendulum actually does swing sometimes. So it's kind of like if you've been dieting for so long I think the natural response, it's like this honeymoon phase of intuitive eating where you're like, oh my gosh, I have permission to eat food. I'm going to eat all the food that I haven't been eating for last X amount of years. But that's a really valuable part of intuitive eating and that pendulum swing. It's like you have to experience the joy of eating foods like that and then like feeling not so great and but being okay with that and that's going to empower you to make decisions in the future that support your overall goal. So how can we stay away from this polarization? So I've got three things we can do. So number one, diet culture dump and celebrate body diversity. So diet culture dump, we got to get rid of those intrusive thoughts, those body bullying thoughts, you know, the little things that someone said to you when you were little and you're still carrying it. Like once someone told me my legs were fat and so for years I didn't wear shorts. It's like that kind of stuff. We've got to move past that. And guys, I talk a lot about that in my ebook. So if you're getting stuck there, please check that out. And celebrating body diversity. Remembering that God made our bodies. He made all our bodies. And they're all different. And they're all unique. And they're all beautifully made. And one isn't better than the other. And we can start this with our kiddos early on. You know, we can start teaching them that being, quote, fat is not the worst thing that you can be. And I think that's a message a lot of us received growing up. Whether it was from culture or parents or aunts or uncles or wherever we got it from somehow this message of like you can be 
anything you want to be as long as you're not fat. Like that is the worst thing you could be. And we can really, we can move away from that. One of the things we can do is we cannot comment on people's bodies when we see them. We cannot point out that somebody's body shape is larger or smaller than we think it should be. I mean, we just say hi. And I do this with my boys. I'll, I'll never forget we, we were in Target and there was a woman in a larger body who was in a wheelchair and she went by us and my son did say, he said, look, mama, she's fat. And what I did, you know, first of all, my human reaction was like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Like, oh, I hope, I hope I didn't hurt her feelings. I've talked to so many clients who, you know, don't go to the grocery store because they're worried there's going to be a kid there that calls them fat. Like I had so much empathy for her because I've sat next to those people and I cannot imagine those comments every time I went to the grocery store. So that was my first initial thought, but I thought, oh, I've got to correct this behavior. I've got to teach my son that there's nothing wrong with that. So I just looked at him and I said, yep. And did you say hello? And he looked back, he said, oh no. And so he turned back around and he said, hi. And he waved at her and she waved right back and had a big smile on her face. My goal is next time there's no discussion about a person's body size. But the point of this interaction with my son here was to teach him that it's, who cares, right? Say hi, ask him, are they having a nice day? That's what we're focused on is the interaction, not the thought about someone's body size. So we got to dump diet culture and we got to celebrate body diversity. That's number one. Number two, we have to establish our own personal values and when it comes to health and how it fits into our lives and then keep our eyes on our own path. Guys, I have no joke, had a client one hour where we talked about doing a specific behavior or a specific health behavior change. And then no joke, the next hour, I'm talking to another client about not doing that exact behavior I was talking about with the first client. In other words, one person's key to success could be another person's door to destruction. I always give the analogy of uh, a donut victory. So for my client with anorexia, her donut victory is going to be having maybe one maybe two, maybe the whole donut and not beating herself up mentally the rest of the day or week for having it. For my individual who's struggling with binge eating, not having the donut might be the donut victory for her that day or having one bite and being able to walk away might be the donut victory. For another person who is trying to follow a gluten-free diet for whatever reason, be it allergies or autoimmune disorders that she feels better staying away from gluten-based foods, for her, not having the donut might be a donut victory. Or for someone that has been denying herself donuts for years and then all of a sudden decides, I'm gonna eat this donut just because it tastes freaking delicious. That's her donut victory. So everybody's donut victory is different. And if we try to compare, that's where we really start to get ourselves in trouble. Or when we try to impose our own values and opinions about food on other people. I mean, we don't know their story. We don't know what what their goals are or how their body handles food. I always say, I am the food expert, but you are the you expert. So I am... It is my job to ask the questions and help you to evaluate how your body responds to food and really capture that, package it up, and have a good understanding of it. But it is not my job to tell you what you should and should not eat. If I start shooting on you, <laughs> then you should fire me. <laughs> if I should on you, you should fire me. <laughs> That's funny. No shooting. So we really have to keep our eyes on our own path. And there, it takes some radical acceptance to do that. We have to accept that we cannot control what other people are doing. And we also have to accept what triggers us. And from there, instead of trying to change the other person's behavior, we just maintain that extreme ownership of our journey with food and our body. 
and we keep our eyes on our own path. I see this a lot in individuals coming out of eating disorder treatment where they've been in treatment bubble where we do a lot of talk and support about anti-diet culture and you know veto keto don't intermittent fast all that stuff and then they go eat dinner with you know aunt shirley who is doing intermittent fasting i don't know is if, if aunt shirley's doing intermittent fasting because it's the latest fad and she's insecure in her body and she's just trying to jump on you know, the latest and greatest train? Or is she a professional athlete that's trying to do it for enhanced recovery? Or is she trying to get gut health under control and make some changes? I mean, we don't know. But really, what Aunt Shirley does has no impact on what I do or what I'm doing with my body unless I let her impact me. So it's that extreme ownership of our own path, eyes on our path, and radical acceptance of what's beyond our control. And this brings me to the last thing which is a balance of discipline and permission. Guys, I'm a little bit of Jocko Willinks and the like treat yourself from Parks and Rec. If you don't know who Jocko Willinks is, do yourself a favor, look him up on Instagram right now. He is a no-nonsense, discipline-gives-you-freedom kind of guy. I mean, he is um, talking about how discipline and sticking to the regimen we lay out for ourselves is our ticket to freedom and being our best self. So there's a lot of goodness in the work he does, but man, he is hardcore. And so I say we got to balance him with, like I said, a little bit of that treat yourself. So it's like this idea of discipline and permission or structure and flexibility. And then we filter it through those values and that that long-term health goal that we've envisioned that is our path for our journey with our relationship with food. So I'll give you guys an example of this. It just came up. I was visiting my sister a couple weeks ago in Colorado and I have been, I've had some personal goals with my lifting and I'm trying to gain some strength. So I was trying to hit some protein goals. I'm also trying to work on some of my gut health. So I was um, watching specific things that I had reacted to in my food sensitivity testing. So I was working on my, my stuff and I'm driving uh, down the street. I'm in Colorado Springs. It is no joke, 10, 15 in the morning. And I'm on this, this road called Interquest Way Park. And I look over to my left. Guys, there is an In-N-Out burger. Okay, so if you, <laughs> I live in New Mexico. We do not have In-N-Out burgers. It is my favorite burger of all time. And we have only have them in Arizona and Nevada and California. And because of COVID, I haven't been able to go there. And here I am at 10, 10, 15 in the morning driving down and it's there like ah, at my fingertips. I, I like lose my mind. I've got my boys in the car. My boys are six and four. They also love burgers. And I start freaking out. And I'm like, boys, who wants a burger for breakfast? It's actually technically second breakfast because we had just eaten breakfast. You know, they, they were all excited and I'm talking it up saying, oh, these are the best burgers you'll ever have. We go through the line. We no joke yet three cheeseburgers, fries, hot cocoa at 1030 in the morning. For second breakfast. If I didn't have this balance of discipline and permission, this scenario would have been a very stressful scenario. So when I went through it, it was joyful. I had these these burgers with my boys and they had a blast. I enjoyed it. It tasted delicious. I felt really good. I gave myself permission to enjoy an In-N-Out burger spontaneously at 1030 in the morning. That's the permission element. The discipline that I had been practicing I had been putting into practice, you know, the few days prior to that allowed my body to be in a place where I actually felt really good and having that cheeseburger, it didn't make me feel crummy. Like it honestly just felt like I had a snack, maybe a heavier snack. So I was (laughs) a little bit fuller than normal, but it's not like I had that and it affected my energy long-term. I felt lethargic or that it even impacted 
the goals I had set for myself. So it's that balance of discipline and permission that allows us to strive towards our health goals or like the analogy I used at the beginning from my client, you know, it helps us save money to buy a house or move into a body that feels stronger and more empowering to ourselves whilst not letting go or not releasing the value of taking pleasure in food. Because guys, food is connection. I always say if there was a sixth love language, it would be food. And why is that a bad thing? Food is enjoyable. We connect with people over it. It tastes good. We have that luxury to let it be a love language. And to deny that, again, I think that's just denying part of our basic human experience. So this idea of balancing structure and flexibility, discipline, and permission is something that we can all do. We can all take away. And it helps keep us from the two extremes that diet and anti-diet culture can sometimes feel like it's presenting to us. Ladies, I want to end with this quote. A woman who heals herself heals her mother, heals her daughter, and heals every woman around her. Let us be the group of women that define and grab hold of our own journey and relationship with food and body so much so. We're so focused on our own path where we heal ourselves and we empower those around us to do the same on their own criteria and rubric. Guys, let's be on our own journey this week. Let's balance our own discipline and permission. And my invitation to you guys is to live comfortably in your own body, have faith in your own journey and your own path, balance that discipline and permission and know that there's always more to be learned when we let go of judgment and life's just a lot better. I mean, guys, come on in and out burger at 10 30 AM. That's freaking amazing. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I hope you guys have an amazing week. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope today strengthened your food journey and empowered you to live boldly in your body. Real quick, sister, before you go, if you liked today's episode, please take a minute to head on over to iTunes, fuel her awesome podcast, and leave me a review. Ladies, can you imagine how much better our world would be if women everywhere were free from diet culture and misguided nutrition advice and they had the ability to step into their full potential? If you have a girlfriend in mind that you know is amazing, but she's held back by body, diet, or diet culture hangups, please join the mission and share this episode on your social media. Don't forget to tag me at JessBrownRD. And if you want more on overcoming body image and insecurity, my 10-step ebook is a great place to start. Head on over to JessBrownRD.com and use the code LOVEMYBODY20 to save 20% through the end of January. Can't wait to chat more. Until next time, babes, cheers and happy eating.